Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This is the Sports Edge with Rick Wolf on your flagship station for New York sports. The Fan, Sports Radio 66 and 1019 FM, WFAN, New York. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of Rick Wolf Sports Edge. I'm your host, Rick Wolf. On this morning's show, I want to talk about a topic that doesn't seem to be discussed all that often these days. I'm talking about the art of disciplining athletes, especially high school and travel team athletes. That's right. What do you do if you're a parent or if you're the coach of an athlete who does something that he or she shouldn't have done? How do you dole out a punishment? How do you figure out the right punishment? And more importantly, how do you teach the youngster a sense of right from wrong so that they don't make the same mistake again? And ideally, their teammates will learn from the mistakes of their peer. Now, look, I know we live in a high-tech, app-driven world these days, and our kids are all about embracing the latest technology and adopting new trends in sports. And imposing discipline is most definitely old school. But unfortunately, as the parent or the coach, you have to lay down the law and enforce the punishment. It's not easy. It's not fun. But it's important. We're going to talk about this this morning. And of course, our number here is uh, 1-877-337-6666. That's brought to you by Hot Summer Fun at Mohegan Sun, Connecticut, now through September 3rd. The problem is this. Discipline and subsequent punishments are often complicated. That is, if you punish, let's say, your star player before a big game and you decide to bench him, well, is that fair to the rest of the kids on the team who desperately want that kid on to play so they can help them, the team to win? Should that actually be a factor or a consideration in the decision? And what about these days using alternative punishments? That is, okay, I'm not going to bench you or suspend you but you'll have to perform some sort of community service or maybe just run extra laps or do something else as part of the the alternative punishment. Does that approach have the, the right and desired impact, or is it just sort of missing the mark? I mean, do, do kids sort of see through that? Now, look, there, there are lots and lots of uh, discipline examples to choose from, but I was recently made aware uh, of a situation that occurred this past March Uh, According to a variety of police reports, the New Canaan High School baseball team decided to have a beer party a few days before their season began. Now, of course, uh, buying alcohol in Connecticut is illegal unless you're 21. And even though the beer was served in one of the players' homes, well, that doesn't make this any better. There were other disturbing events that occurred at this, uh, at this party, but I just want to focus on what happened to the baseball players. Once the police arrived, apparently, at, on the scene at this home, the party, of course, was broken up, and the young man 
an 18-year-old who had purchased a beer for his buddies, a kid on the baseball team, and the party took place in his home. Well, he and his dad were, were eventually charged. But here's the part I don't get. And although it was pretty clear what had happened at this get-together and that a number of varsity baseball players were drinking beer, nothing really happened to them in terms of immediate punishment. That is, they, they simply played the season with no suspensions or nobody got benched. Yet in, in late May, a couple of months after this party, as the team was now in the playoffs, it was then decided that the kid who had brought the beer uh, and hosted the party, well, he'd be suspended for the rest of the season, just a few games into the playoffs. But from what I can tell, and I could be very much wrong about this because I wasn't there, but no punishment was handed down to the players. All this happened at the end of the season so that the kids and their parents agreed to participate in some sort of training sessions about the perils of abusing alcohol. And that kicked in, I guess, in, in uh, late May. Does this strike you as odd, or is this typical of how kids today are disciplined when it comes to breaking the rules and breaking, you know, all sorts of uh, code of conduct that schools have? Again, I'm curious at your thoughts about how discipline has evolved in terms of our kids today, and of course how coaches have to cope with this, and of course if the parents aren't pleased with the discipline, then they're going to complain to the coach or to the athletic director. one 337 Again, not exactly something we talk about a lot, but it's something that's really out there. Let's, uh, let's start our conversation this morning uh, with Justin from, uh, from Nutley, New Jersey. Justin, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Coach. How are you? Good. How are you, Justin? Good. I, I think one of the biggest things you have to have is a supportive athletic director and, a, and administration. The issue with public school, you know, perfect example, what, what went on in Montclair. Now, Coach Portis didn't discipline anyone, but it all depends, and it's a sad way to say it, but who's connected to who, who knows who, mm-hmm. and how is it going to affect your job? Now, clearly there's a code of conduct and there's a, there's a school handbook and whatever the case may be. However, there are some things that come up that don't necessarily fall under the line of drinking, but just general practice stuff. Let's say, for example, you know, you're a, you're a coach and you have a rule. If you get detention and you miss practice, then there's this consequence. Now, that's necessarily not a code of conduct policy. That's a coach's policy. But if you're in a situation where you don't have a supportive athletic director or there are some powerful people maybe in town that disagree with that, that could affect your ability and necessarily um, hamstring you to, to discipline how you want to do it. I've coached on both the public and private level. And it seems like the private level is a little bit easier to do things like that just because of the lack of a board of education and, you know, kind of a city count, not not city council, but, you know, people, people in town kind of thing. I mean, it's a little uh, well, bit. Justin, I, 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 yeah, I know what you're saying. And clearly uh, at the root of all this, particularly, as you say, in the public school side, it, the athletic director, uh, a lot of this falls upon him or her because they have to basically be there to to make sure the discipline action, disciplinary actions are carried out and are enforced. And if, if parents feel that their their kid's getting a, a raw deal here, uh, the AD is going to be in the hot seat more so than the coach himself or herself. Of course. The the athletic director obviously has to respond to the district administration and the, and the, and yeah. the superintendent. Yeah. The superintendent answers to the Board of Ed because well, the Board of Ed is their three- or four-year contract. So however high up the chain the person complains, then it all depends on how much support or lack thereof you might get. Yeah. And that's unfortunate, but, 
you know, if someone's out for my job, then I'm going to do what's best to take care of my job versus what a varsity baseball coach wants to do. I'm going to do what my higher ups tell me to do. So again, in terms of like drinking or being, or being arrested, I think some of those things are, are more concrete, but like when you're trying to run a day-to-day program and it's still disciplining kids where, you know, you have to be at study hall or, 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 or you can't have detention or, you know, you can't get this, that, and the other thing, some of the smaller things are maybe a little bit harder to discipline based on the amount of support or lack thereof you have on a, on a day-to-day basis. No, I, I agree with you. And, and Justin, uh, thank you for the call this morning. You know, and, and, and Justin's right. There are sort of gradations because, yes, usually most high schools do have a formal code of conduct. Uh, we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But the fact is, for coaches, individual coaches, many times they'll have their own little rules and regulations that they want the kids to adhere to. And if a kid feels that eh, that's, not, that's not really part of the code of conduct or the coach is overreaching or, or something on those lines, that's where you begin to get a chain of complaints going on. And that's where things can get very, very complicated and very sticky in a hurry. Uh, it is difficult. Let's go to uh, let's go to Art in uh, New Providence. Art, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Coach. Uh, I've been a football and basketball coach in Providence for uh, 38 years now. And uh, when I first started out, I went to a football clinic down at the University of Delaware, where a man by the name of Tubby Raymond was the head coach. Of course, legendary. And uh, in terms of discipline, uh, one of the things he said, we get the wrong impression sometimes. He said, yeah, a lot of coaches will discipline their players by having them run laps or do push-ups and sit-ups. He goes, people don't realize that those things are good for kids, for them to run, for them to do push-ups, for them to do sit-ups, mm-hmm. whatever it is. He goes, you know what my discipline is? He said, my discipline is you don't play. And and I think that has a bigger impact than uh, a kid coming in a uh, Late to practice, I've seen it where kids have come late to practice. They run two laps around the field, and they still have their starting position. It doesn't matter. So there's no real big deal. They just come run two laps, and they're right where they uh, right. I got where it. to start from. Sure. Um, also, I was in a situation once where I would say a star player, uh, after practice, missed a lifting session, just took off. It was before a state playoff game, and I brought in a couple of the captains. I said, here's what I'm thinking of doing, and uh, you know, suspending the player for the state playoff game. And, the kids wanted no part of it. It was like, we need him. We have to play. And I said, yeah. what does that mean? We could just do whatever we want. And uh, I went against my values and, and what I thought I should have done. And, and I actually played the player. Uh, I, I really I really, I really, didn't agree with what I did. I caved in. Uh, you know, and Art, that, that's exactly what we're talking about. Thank you for that, that story this morning. You know, the fact is... You know, the coach tries to do the right thing, and sometimes he talks to the captains, the seniors, and the team and say, well, we need this kid. He's a big player, a big game coming up. And, and as Art says, he still remembers very vividly. He, he, he decided not to go with his real instincts and play the kid, and that's, that, that sends the wrong message in so many ways. And, you know, the, the point about saying, well, you know what, we're just if you break a rule and it's a serious violation, you're just not going to play. That sends a very strong message as well, and I wonder if that message is still valid in this day and age. All right, let me, let me take a timeout. When, uh, when I come back after Dave Uram's uh, update and some commercials, we'll continue talking about discipline uh, in the year 2017 and how uh, discipline is, uh, is meted out to kids uh, on varsity and travel teams. Stay with me. Welcome back to the Sports Edge. I'm Rick Wolf. We're talking this morning about discipline in high school, travel, and, and other sports teams. And 
trying to find sort of a universal solution for naughty problems that pop up and obviously plague coaches all the time is what do you do uh, when one of the kids, a teenager, does something they shouldn't have done, and, and how do you punish them? How do you send the right message? Uh, do you have to do a punishment right away? Can you delay punishment for long periods of time? Uh, what happens if the parents aren't happy with the punishment and they protest? It, it, you know, again, these days, discipline is just as important as it was a generation ago, but it seems sometimes uh, trying to get the right message across to the kids who have done something wrong it gets uh, it gets complicated, and uh, that's what we're talking about this morning at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six sixty six. Fan. Hey, coach, how you doing? First? Good work, Jason. Good morning. You're on the fan. Hey, coach, how you doing? First Good. time, long time. Okay, great, Jason. How are you doing? Good. I this is more of a college story. I don't know if you heard this this week, but uh, Keyshawn Johnson, his son, Keyshawn Johnson Jr., is a. Sta- uh, you know, a standout at, at Nebraska. He's a wide receiver following in his, his father's footsteps. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was caught this week with marijuana and marijuana paraphernalia in his dorm room. Mm-hmm. Keyshawn Johnson Jr. stepped in, pulled him off the team, said, you're not playing for six months. You're not soiling my name. You're not soiling Nebraska. You're not soiling the school. I'm yanking you off the team. You're going to get your head right. When I say it's okay, you could go back and you could go play. Mm-hmm. You, you met, you met so the father, I, Keyshawn Johnson, saying this. Correct. Right. Correct. Okay. He, um, he he stepped in. You know, took took ownership of the situation. I'm not sure what would have happened if the school did anything. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the end of the day, Keyshawn said, "Hey, you're the the father." Keyshawn said, "You're you're coming off. You're not playing for at least six months." I am not. Familiar, this, is, uh, this is a big a big D one school in yeah, Nebraska. Yeah, and I, you know, I I am not familiar with that story. Uh, I do know Keyshawn and uh, the father and. Um, you know, he obviously said, I'm not even going to wait for the University of Nebraska to make a decision on this. As you said, I'm going to intervene as the father and say, you're, you're not going to play. And uh, as you said, he basically has implemented his own punishment on his own kid. That's interesting. Uh, has Nebraska, has the coaching staff there or the athletic uh, office, have they, what have they said about this? I haven't seen any, any follow-up. I just saw the initial story. But I, I guess it, if a parent yanks the kid off the team, you know, the school has to basically comply. Well, you can make a case, of course, that uh, the kids are on a full scholarship at Nebraska, a big D1 program. Um, you know, does this mean that the kid is going to forfeit a scholarship? I mean, there are some uh, repercussions, I would imagine, but I would assume that the coaching staff in Nebraska would say, look, you know, the father's doing the right thing here, sending a very strong message. Uh, I'm sure they're probably going to support him. I, I would absolutely hope so. And back to the scholarship thing. You know, he was found, you know, with a legal substance in yep. his dorm room. So, I mean, it's not like he was just out at a party or missed curfew, you know. This is some yeah. serious stuff. Jason, uh, thank you for that. I'm afraid you're breaking up here. But that's an interesting uh, story here. And, and obviously we'll have to follow that because, you know, most of the time these days it's the parent who sort of intervenes and says, no, 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 your punishment is much too severe that uh, you're, you're too harsh here. In this case, it's Keyshawn Johnson uh, stepping in saying, no, I'm going to punish my own kid. Uh, that's interesting. Let's move on. Let's go to uh, Coach Tom over in North Arlington. Tom, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning, Rick. How you doing? Good. That's an interesting story about uh, Keyshawn uh, jumping in and, and punishing his own kid. 
That's a coach's dream, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Those are the things you think about. As a co- well, what I would say is, first off, obviously, uh, the only form of punishment, if you decide you're going to punish, is is the to bench the kid. Yep. Yep. I've had you know I've had some of my better players in the past say you know coach do anything you want just don't take me out mm-hmm. we, you know we we know as coaches that's our only really hammer uh, I would say okay first of all we've talked this in the past about having meetings before the season and everything mm-hmm. sure. when I first became a coach I try to anticipate anything that could possibly go wrong I know you can't but you try and you say to yourself okay this is my rule about this this is my rule now I've had some heated discussions with parents before the season. You know, sometimes we could agree to disagree, but the most important thing is when a situation comes up, they're not shocked by it. Yeah. They're not upset. And that, and that takes half the thing right away. Okay. The other thing is you certainly want to check with your administration. I was in a parochial school, so it was much easier. Okay. But you check with your administration. Well, this is what I'd like to do to discipline but, and make sure that they're on board so they're not surprised. You take the surprise away from it. Okay. And then um, – Finally, it's uh, like I said. When you first become coach, whatever your policy is, that's going to you, you're going to have to stand on that. That's yes. you're going to you know what I'm saying for the rest of your career. So when you first do it, and real quick, I had a baseball situation. I was the assistant coach. Yep. We had a, a boy uh, starter miss uh, practice before a state game. Uh, it was like the extended weekend. I think it might have been the senior prom, but it was like a Monday. Uh-huh. It was we had a day off, and coach decided to let him play. All right, and. The following year, we had eight kids not show up. Oh. And went, you know, with that, and believe it or not, and he t- he had told me he made a mistake after he did it. And the following year, he actually benched all eight kids. We brought up JV players, and uh, it never ever happened again. And you know what I'm saying? So you can make a mistake and learn from it. And uh, to me, it's uh, believe me. I even asked the captain the first year. I said, you know, coach was well within his rights not to play so and so. And the captain looked at me and goes, "Hey, I-, I agree with him. We're all under the same rules. I want to win as much as anybody else, but you know, it was we abide by the same rules." Well, and Tom, again, yeah, that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah. Tom, I, I say, you know, it's, uh, at the end of the day, the, the the only real tool or hammer that the coach has is to bench the kid. And as you just related, there are times where, look, the coaches aren't insensitive to the fact that, you know, it is a big game and this is our star player. And I'm fully aware of the fact if I bench this kid, it's really going to diminish our chances of winning that next game. But, you know, sometimes this is why the kids are are teenagers there and they have to learn the hard rules of of discipline. And, um, you know, coaches sometimes say, yeah, I made a mistake because I was so eager to win the game as well. But, you know, that's that's the bottom line. And. um, it's tough, and it's not fair, perhaps, to the rest of the kids on the team to see their star player get benched. But that, that's 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 how it's done. And um, once you once you sort of, you know, uh, go in a different direction and make excuses, or we'll find other alternative ways to yes, to yes. punish the kid. The other kids pick up on that right away and say, "Well, the coach doesn't really have the kind of backbone we thought he had." You know? No. I- Again, like I said, if you take the surprise out of that, okay, as much as, like you said, it hurts the other kids, the other kids possibly can handle this ahead of time. If they know what's, what they're in for, yep. if certain people do certain things, you've taken the surprise out of it. I think that's the most important thing. Yeah, I agree. Right. Right. Thanks, Tom. You know, and and Tom, Tom always brings great insights, and he's right. I mean, this is, this is, this is a hard things for coaches to do. Obviously, coaches have put a lot of time and effort into wanting to, to win, have a successful season, but, you know— at the end of the day, if you if you if you do try to some, somehow convince yourself that no, I'll let the kid play, 
because it is a big game and he's a senior and so on and so forth, then you're really setting yourself up for problems down the road. Let's continue. Let's go over uh, to Scott in New Jersey. Scott, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning. Um, I played you know, 40 years ago for the great Bob Hurley. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and, you know, there was no question about what this one was about when you played for that guy. Yep. And nowadays, I think what he does, he has players sign a contract. And they sign it before the, before the uh, season. And they know exactly what the rules are. If you miss practice, you're not playing. If you, you know, screw up drinking. We had a kid drank during, right before a state tournament, a, uh, a Division One player. And it wasn't a vote. Now, coach came in and said he's not playing, and we all understood it. And we actually won the game. Mm-hmm. And, and trust me, he set a clear example. I think the other issue, too, is coaches. You know, uh, you know the, the coaches are, you know, I referee lacrosse, I referee basketball for almost 30 years. Yep. The coaches need to set the example. On, you know, the constant complaining to the refs, the kids during the game looking at their dads. You know, not every kid's a Division One player. You know, it's not about winning. It's about building character. Right. When you play for Hurley, he built you into a character. He, he taught you life lessons outside of basketball. What I learned there wasn't, wasn't about basketball. It was about being a man and, you know, and doing the right thing. Scott, I, I, uh, yeah, I agree 100%, and, and uh, thank you for the call this morning. In fact, uh, I, I do hope I can get uh, Coach Hurley on the show because he's so legendary and obviously – uh, with the closing of St. Anthony's, uh, you know, it's been such a huge disappointment for everybody uh, who follows, uh, you know, uh, high school basketball. But I do want to get Coach Hurley on the show to talk about, because although you can make a case that uh, Scott said, well, you know, he played for him 40 years ago, and it was pretty clear and the, the players signed a contract what the rules are, there was, no, there was no debate about this. If you violated the rules, you didn't play. Simple as that. You know, I mentioned before, uh, before the break about code of conducts. Now, most schools have a code of conduct, which tends to be, you know, sort of uh, built in a, a sense of leniency. Uh, these are the, the, the athletic code of conduct where the, all the athletes are aware that if they violate some rule, uh, if, depending on the severity, usually the, the first offense is somewhat lenient. And again, I'm grossly generalizing here. But the second offense, well, then the punishment's a little more severe. And the third offense becomes really much more of a reprimand, a serious reprimand. But these, 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 these codes are usually written in such a way that they understand that teenagers make mistakes, and we don't want to ruin a teenager's life. We understand that teenagers, adolescents, uh, is full of doing dumb things. But, you know, there, most coaches will work from the code of conduct as a, their baseline, and they'll institute their own rules as well. And that's where sometimes you'll get situations where parents will say, well, you know, coach, your rules are much tougher than the school's code, uh, and you're punishing my kid when really you shouldn't be doing that. That's much too strong. And that's where, again, it gets to be really kind of uh, messy in terms of parental interference uh, and, and coaches having to go to their AD and get support. Anyhow, this is, this is what we're talking about this morning. And we're talking about discipline. And it's still, it's been around forever. It's still very, very difficult to implement. All right, let me, let me take a pause. When I return, I go right back to the calls here at one eight seven seven. 337 And speaking of baseball, of course, Ed Randall will be here at 9 o'clock this morning. And Ed, will, of course, will be talking baseball. Make sure you stick around to hear his wonderful interviews. And as always, I ask you to check out my website and my blog at AskCoachWolf.com where you can post your own comments and opinions about the topics we cover here on the Sports Edge. 
This morning we're talking about discipline issues at the high school and travel team level, and it's a it's an issue that's that continues uh, from generation to generation. And what it is that uh, parents and coaches need to know. Taking your calls at one eight seven seven three three seven sixty six. 66. Let's continue uh, up in Rockland County. Joe has been standing by. Joe, good morning. You're on the fan. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Yes, Joe. Yes. Um, I think when you're talking about high school sports and travel sports, you got to kind of separate a little bit. I, just because of the way people think nowadays, um, travel sports, obviously, usually the parents or the kids are paying to play. Mm-hmm. And high school sports, they're, you know, they got to make the team and you don't really have to pay to play. Mm-hmm. So right there, there, there's a little, there's a fine line there. Um, I'm a 17U coach, travel baseball. Um, last year I was in Boston. I'm not going to tell you my team name. There's no need for it. Um, we were in Boston for a tournament. We had a late game. It was like, I think it was an 8, 8 o'clock start. We started at 10 o'clock instead of 8. Right. Got off the field like after midnight. We had an eight o'clock game the next morning. Mm-hmm. And I had, you know, we didn't play too well. I had the teams in the dugout. We talked about what how the game just went, and I said, I told my players, I said, listen, we have an eight o'clock game. The team that's going to win tomorrow is going to be the team that's going to be on the field, ready to go, and not tired, not sleeping. So we got a seven a.m. on the field, dressed and ready to go. Eighty mm-hmm. percent of my team was there at seven a.m. My three best players, my leadoff hitter, my three-hitter, my four-hitter, and my starting pitcher, so three guys, come strolling down the hill towards the field at 7.03. 7.03, three minutes late. If they would have just got a little jog in them, I wouldn't have sat them. They walked. And by the time they got to the dugout, I was 7.05. I'm looking on my watch. Of course, what do I got to do? Now I got to sit them. Right? Now I got to sit them. So I get in there. And I asked them if they were serious. Like, are you guys serious walking that way? And they kind of just laughed it off. You know, I, I just think it's the kids these days. This is how they are, most of them. Let me ask um, you this, Joe. This this was, this was obviously a travel team. You said 17 uh, and under. Uh, did you get any pushback from their parents when you didn't play them in the 8 o'clock game? Um, I, don't, I didn't get pushback. I had a couple of people ask me, you know, why I did it. And I told them, and, you know, they were – I would say a couple people didn't like it. Um, the guy that runs my organization, he was awesome. He stood right behind me. He asked me why I did it. I told him. Thing is, that was like probably our biggest tournament for recruiting purposes for colleges. So, but let's get not back to the kids. The kids say, you know, you look at them. They're they're, they're not even jogging. They don't, they obviously know they're they they're late. They don't. And you say, yeah. well, you know, I'm not going to play you. And they look like, hey, whatever. I mean that. That's got to send you as a coach. Like, what's wrong with these kids? Clearly, yeah. baseball is not a real top priority a priority in their lives. Yeah, well, that's kind of the way I took it. Well, that's the way I would have probably take it as well. And you right. say, well, then if, if if it's not that big a deal, then you're not going to feel particularly disappointed when you don't play today. And if I'm a college coach, I'm looking at this and thinking, why aren't these kids playing? Well, I'm not gonna, you know, uh, consider them as real, real valuable prospects. I mean, that that does that basically sends a message both ways. Without a doubt, I can't agree with you anymore. Yeah, I well, Joe, that's again, this is the kind of dilemma that coaches face all the time these days. And and you say, you said, well, you know, I, these are the rules, and the kids obviously knew they violated them. They say, well, we're the best players, and eh, whatever. That's the way it goes, coach. Well, then fine. Then 
you know, I don't yeah. need you to, because you, you, then you start to wonder about the kids' actually dedication to the program. Anyhow, Joe, thank you for the story. It's disappointing to hear these kids did that, but we know this stuff happens, yeah. you know? Hey, there was, a, there was a happy ending. How's that? You guys won? We won one nothing against a pretty premier team in the Northeast uh, region. Well, that's, that is a happy ending, and it sends an even better message to the kids who did get up early and got there on time. That's good. Yes, sir. Joe, thanks again. Appreciate the call. Thanks for having me. Take care. Let's go on. Let's go to uh, let's go to Dennis over in Summit. Hi, Dennis. You're on the fan. Hey, Rick. Good morning. How good are morning. you? Good. Good, Dennis. How are you doing? All right. Not too bad. Rick, I, I clearly I've got some experience, obviously, of coaching at the high school level mm-hmm. uh, years and years ago. Uh, now I officiated a pretty high level. Um, one of the concerns that I see of late, and and it's clearly evident. I know you're talking about discipline with uh, student athletes, mm-hmm. but one of the issues that you could see today, and all you have to do is pick up the newspaper or go on blogs or social media today, and you see there's an abundance of coaches that are being put at risk of not being rehired. There were two very prominent cases recently in New Jersey. One worked out where the coach got rehired, another one where the coach was not retained, mm-hmm. and the coaches had a tremendous amount of support from parents and student athletes. Mm -hmm. However, in both of these cases, what it turned out was, and and I'm of the opinion that coaches nowadays are very apprehensive to take substantial action against the student athlete simply because they are afraid of what the repercussions to them is going to be from administrators, athletic directors, principals, and even superintendents or boards of education because of what, of what they do to little Johnny or little Susie. And it's really, it's really a shame because, again, coaches are second-guessing themselves and, and really not doing the right thing simply because they don't want to have to deal with spineless administrators. I mean, if the well, coach is it, the it, coach... Dennis, let me interrupt you. It's curious because most, I think, like, we know that the public schools... The coaches are appointed on a year-to-year basis. There's no such thing as long-term contracts or, or, or tenure at the coaching ranks. Usually what I hear is that the parents are the ones who basically conspire to get the coach fired uh, because they didn't like the way the coach handled a disciplinary action and so on and so forth. And it's the parents, of course, who go to the AD or to the school board and so on and so forth. But you're telling me that's the opposite, that it's the school board's that may not support the coach. And obviously, if the coach doesn't have the support of the athletic director or the school board or the principal, yeah, the coach is going to be obviously terminated. It, uh, of course. And, and look, it's it, it's a slippery slope that the coaches are always on. Yep. It, you know, but yet the, the the way the hierarchy really should work is that why should a superintendent be dealing or a board of ed member be dealing directly with a coach. There's a chain of command. Of course. And it, appear, it appears as if nowadays that chain of command is completely gone. The, the, the athletic director should be the one who has the most dialogue with the coach, and he or she has to be the one to stand up and say, hey, look, he's my coach. He's my coach or she's my coach. I support what they're doing. I stand behind my coach. And, and that, I think, would go a long, long way of mitigating some of the problems that we're currently seeing. Now, before you mentioned about Coach Hurley. Yeah. And I've known Coach Hurley for years and years. Had the opportunity to work many of his games when I was coming up through the ranks. Coach Hurley was able to do what he did, and rightfully so, 
And uh, nobody is going to second guess what he did or how he ever handled his players. But he was able to do what he did simply because the buck stopped with him. Nobody at St. Anthony's was going to question Bob Hurley. And that's the way it really, that's the, really the way it has to be. If we're really concerned about doing the right thing by the student athlete and really doing the right thing for the program. And it's not just about dealing. I know one of your previous coaches on spoke about it. And he said, you know, I did what I had to do because it sent a message to, to future generations of players. Yep. And he's a hundred percent correct. As long as you're consistent with what you do. And as long as you do it in a way that makes sense, you know, not arbitrary or capricious, then you know what? You're going to be fine. But I really think that nowadays a lot of coaches are looking over their shoulders, and it's a shame. Dennis, uh, there's no question the coaches are always looking over their shoulder because you never know when something's going to fall into their lap and say, how do I handle this? But one thing that uh, I, I want to come back to what Coach Tom from North Arlington mentioned as well, and this, this basically dovetails what you're saying, if you you find yourself as a coach in a very difficult situation with discipline, you got to have make sure there are no surprises. You got to go to your athletic director and say, "Okay, let's talk about this so that you're going to back me 100% so I know exactly what we want to do uh, to handle this situation." Uh, that's that I think is the first step any coach has to has to basically embrace. And Dennis, thank you for the call. You know, the fact is you can't have any surprises, and, you, and as Dennis mentioned, a sense of consistency. you got to make sure that whatever you decide to do as the coach in terms of disciplining your players, you got to be consistent on a year-to-year basis. Otherwise, you're going to really set yourself up for a real, you know, real problem, as simple as that. Uh, and as I said, no surprises. Make sure you're on the same page with your athletic director uh, so that you make sure you're, you're working as a team when it comes to these major discipline situations. All right, let me take a timeout. I'll be back with more. Stay with me. Well, I'm almost out of time, but when it comes to discipline, and you're a coach, uh, a few things. One, you have to be proactive. You have to be upfront with your kids and their parents about the rules. You do that when the preseason meeting. You have the kids sign a very straightforward, simple contract about the rules and the punishments. Uh, you got to be consistent, and of course, you have to be. Con- you have to have the courage to enforce the rules in case something happens. Uh, if you don't do that, you're going to have some real problems on your hands. And, of course, you always want to make sure before you take any action, you check with your athletic director to make sure you're both on the same page. Uh, okay, that's going to do it for me in this edition of the Sports Edge. My thanks this morning to Tom Lugauer. Please stick around for Ed Randall. He is up next. I'll see you next Sunday right here on the Sports Edge. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.